0: I love being honest.
1: It's all about confidence. It's all about the confidence.
0: This is presenting the producer, a podcast for aspiring producers. I'm Lisa Tuerig, your host. In the previous episode, we focused on interviews, and we went pretty deep, discussing how to source a great interviewee, how to judge whether a press release is worth following up and how interviews are a kind of game that you need to understand. If you missed that, I'd recommend you go back and check that episode out. Even if you've done a few interviews already, you'll learn something. We're carrying on with the theme of content in this episode, but focusing on other aspects, specifically callers, creating shareable moments, and what are the hallmarks of a good feature. Firstly, to callers, which is a very tidy term for letting non-broadcast professionals having free reign on your show. Why should you care about callers when you want to work on a cool, late-night specialist show? Well, phone-opping is quite often the first job you'll have at a station. And when a caller goes wrong, it can go magnificently wrong. Knowledge is power here, so it's worth your while listening to what some seasoned producers had to say about the ever-changing caller. We learned in a previous episode that Six Music's Phil Smith's first job in radio was working overnights on TalkSport. He still considers it to be the worst job going in radio. But the years he spent phone oping there honed his instincts. He boiled down several years of experience into a few succinct pointers.
2: What's interesting about callers is when I worked at TalkSport, you know, you are in the middle of the night and so you are dependent upon callers. But at the same time, you want the caller to sound great and you don't want it to affect the quality of the programme. I think with callers, uh, the best ones are the ones that get to their point really quickly best ones are the ones that understand that they are broadcasting um, but also this is a conversation It not just about them so they've got to make their point and they've got to learn to be quiet so if you are taking if you're fielding a load of calls and you're talking to somebody who's just phoned in and they're talking over you the whole time that's a nightmare because you know they're gonna do that on air they've got to appreciate that you're trying to find that best person to get on air, and they've got to take advice from you as well they can come on and give you they can come on and tell you as a, as a phone-op um, what they want to say and you can say to them right that's great what's going to work better if you just if you just phrase it like this and then you can maybe adapt the question because it's going to sound better on air and if they go yeah that's fine you know you've got a great caller there.
0: How a caller is with you the phone up, is a good reflection of how they'll be on air. If you're screening a lot of calls simultaneously it's easy to forget that you're in a position to coach a caller. Try to remember it because with just a bit of direction you can get the best out of someone. The Jeremy Vine show on BBC Radio 2 receives a considerable amount of callers every show. In order to allow the best on air, the screening process behind the mic needs to be to a pretty high standard. Producer Tim Johns has a final say on whether a caller goes live and says to trust your instincts. You just have to
3: trust your instinct and follow it, basically. If you're covering a topic, there are two clear points of view. Okay, the first thing you're looking for are people who clearly express opinions that precisely are about what you're discussing there's nothing worse than talking about should paprika be in meatballs and someone phones up and goes i have some great meatballs in italy off topic tell us about paprika so first of all people answer the phones they type up what the person's saying they print them up i look at them to just check they're on topic and beyond that just you listen to someone speaking and within five seconds sometimes the first three words your instinct tells you whether they're going to be entertaining or not You can hear whether someone's passionate, excited or very emotional about something or just quite eccentric. Often, and this is the same answer for any question you might ask about anything in radio, often at the end of it, it comes down to just common sense and following your instinct. It's like if you phone someone up to talk about soup. They'll either go, hello, yes, I work in a soup kitchen, that's great. Or they'll be like, hello, I love soup and you just know straight away. Hello, I love Sue. That was four words, but you can tell straight away. I oh, just, I want to put you on the radio. If it sounds great, it might
0: be. But what if the person at the other end of the line isn't ideal? I asked, what's the protocol then? How do you politely, well, get rid of them?
3: There are many little tips and tricks. I mean, specifically on this show, I say things like, Oh, let me stop you there. That's great. That's all I can send up to the studio for now, but let me do that right now so we get it up there in time. Okay? Thanks, because then I've incentivized them to stop talking so their comment might get on air. Hooray. Because then you can write up their comment and they might get on air. Uh, that's the main one I tend to use. It's just about politely interrupting and explaining clearly why you absolutely must move on now and making it sound urgent. Because it is, because you need to answer other calls that might be better.
0: You see, while the idea of jumping into phone hopping might seem a bit daunting from the outside, it's actually nothing to be afraid of. you will be nervous your first few times working on the phones, you will, because you're human. However, keep in mind that you instinctively know if you're in for an entertaining story. You've been listening to stories your whole life. You know when you're in for a good one just from someone's opening few words. And it's this instinct that you will rely on when working the phones. I'm gonna pull a book down from the shelf here before we wrap up on callers. Specifically, The Radio Producer's Handbook, written by Rick Kimfer and John Swanson. This is a book you've got to check out if you're serious about producing as a career. They're both award-winning producers in their own right, and use a system called the Red Alert System when dealing with callers. The Red Alert System is their name for that gut feeling you get that a caller isn't going to be good content. And they emphasize to never, ever ignore that gut feeling. According to them, bad callers can be broken down into seven specific types. Okay, here we go. The Inside Caller. This is a caller who knows your presenter personally, and just wants to chat to them on the show. Screen this call out as their inside between friends banter won't feel inclusive to other listeners. Tell them your presenter is crazy busy at the moment, but to call back after the show
1: picture in the paper, it's all I ever knew. I went to the Baptist church
0: the long-winded caller. Well, like Wednesday night,
1: you guys don't
4: have
0: night. If their story is rambling and difficult for you to follow as phone-up, it'll be even worse when they're on air. Be quick with your cutoff here write something like, don't take this call on the phone screener, and then put them on hold. Permanently. Hey, it's me again. The daily caller. This is the dedicated listener who calls almost every day. While it's great that you have a solid fan, they do make for boring calls after a while. Be friendly with this one. They're a loyal listener after all. If you know their first name, use it. Tell them there's a bunch of calls ahead of them and you don't want them to be stuck on hold all day again. Thank them for calling and for listening, and hang up. That is so funny. (laughs) The Ofcom nightmare. While they probably know they can't swear on air, they also can't help it, and the pressure of suddenly being put on air will most likely make them swear even more out of nerves. Thank them for calling and for listening, but again, this is another no. The prank caller. The prank caller comes in two guises. There's the obvious one. They'll try to get on air by claiming to have some unusual story to tell the presenter. Like that time they had pizza with the Pope. Or They're more intelligent about it. They may phone in claiming to be in the presence of the figure being discussed on air, for example. To catch the prank caller, you have to be pretty vigilant. Everyone likes a good laugh, but honestly, there's nothing worse than having your show be taken for a ride so publicly. And also, you don't want to embarrass your presenter. The dodgy line. You'd be surprised how painful a fuzzy line can sound on air for both you and the listeners because it makes engaging conversation, well, impossible. Explain to them that the line is bad and to please call again from a better connection. The slow caller. Unless your presenter is a slow speaker, the slow caller's speech rhythm will sound like the show has slammed on the brakes, throwing off the established pace. Of course, some people have slower speech patterns due to health or physical reasons, and they shouldn't be discriminated against at all. Just choose your moments correctly. For example, a two minute quiz feature with a ticking sound bed wouldn't work in this situation, but a longer discussion about unfair stereotyping may. Use your common sense here. And finally, quick checklist to tell every caller before they go on air. Turn off the radio if it's on or you'll have awful feedback. Two, no swearing, obviously. Three, the next person they'll be speaking to will be the presenter on air. You'd be surprised how many people aren't aware of that. With the rise of the internet, radio has become a 360 medium in a sense, with more and more content on air needing to translate into shareable moments online. This is especially true for stations aimed at a younger demographic. Their content needs to translate successfully across multiple platforms because that's where their target audience is. One extra is Darry Samuels, producer of Charlie Slott's weekday show, classes himself as a content creator primarily. Creating shareable content requires a different way of thinking you're always looking to see how the next radio moment can be transformed into a moment people want to share with their friends online. What's trending and what's going viral across the net literally changes by the hour. I asked Darry about where he gets his ever-changing content ideas from, and he explained it all starts the minute he leaves the studio.
1: A lot of ways I get my ideas is from being in the real world. The scenes as, soon as I, I leave like the building the studios, that's when I get inspired because it's, it's the conversations I hear at the queue in Tesco's, or at the bus stop, or, or someone's playing music on their phone, but what track is it? And, you know, it's it's those kind of things, the real life really, that, that kind of gives you a, a check on, you know, what people are actually caring about. And, you know, social media, I know something's hot if my girlfriend and their friends are sharing it. That means it. you know, it's not just, She's checking it out because her boyfriend works at a radio station. It's because it, it's being shared. And so, that natural gossip, that na- those natural talking points are the things I'm looking for and trying to expand on them and give them broader appeal. I work for a radio station, but ultimately, I'm a content creator and I'm trying to create content which taps into people's sensibilities, their emotions, and it encourages them forces them to want to share it with other people it's my job to create moments that are shareable and that's where social media becomes a potent tool where if you create a moment whether it's related to a certain type of people a certain group of people and create something that works it's not just you had to be there where you can experience it at any time and it still makes sense then that you're creating more value so I'm having to think not only in terms of what we're going to talk about now on the radio show but what can we create now that can live longer and doesn't only make sense in this moment that is what my job is i'm constantly thinking about now and i'm constantly thinking about forever so whether that's an audio visual whatever the content medium it's how do i make this funny for now or entertaining for now but also how can i make this have longevity and be shareable and something that will still be entertaining tomorrow, next month, next year. And that's the challenge. And it makes you refocus, think differently about how you treat different set of pieces, whether it's a feature, whether it's an interview. If I'm talking about today and the weather today or the football match today, am I giving my content a lifespan, a short lifespan? How can I avoid limiting the longevity of a piece of content? by putting things that fix it in a place or location or time.
0: I can understand how some producers will be slow to see the need to be up to date with the online world. Your only concern is working in sound, right? Wrong. Steve Burrell from Amazing Radio is both a producer and the station's head of content. I asked him how important is it that a producer stays in the know about what's happening in the world of social media?
5: Massively, in the last however many years it's become, the biggest tool to get your messages out there and to interact with people to engage with people to bring them in to listen to your radio station so you, you have to keep the of everything that's going on any new happenings whether it's periscope or Facebook live or you need to keep on top of these things because that's what radio is now I think back 15 years ago radio was just radio you just had to go and speak on the radio didn't perhaps have to look good.
0: Face for radio. Yeah,
5: whereas now it feels like, you know, it's a 360 medium where it's very much about the visual now as much as it is about the radio content as well. And they kind of marry quite well with each other because one might inspire the other. So we had a feature, God rest its soul, which is no longer, called Peg the Greg. Basically, I gave Greg like a weekly pub quiz. If he got the question wrong, he had to put a peg on his face. And then if he got the question right... I had to put a peg on my face. So that was one that was very much an idea created with social media in mind. So we could periscope that. We could tweet out pictures, could put the pictures on Facebook. And the sadists out there actually quite liked seeing us in pain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So befriend social media if you haven't already and keep its abilities in the back of your mind when working on a new feature. Which brings us to the final part of this episode. What are the hallmarks of not just a good feature, but a great one?
2: I think features should be easy and not particularly complicated. There's so many features that you hear on air that the setup is so convoluted. It almost doesn't make the audience want to get involved because it's so complicated. You should be able to sell it to your presenter or your presenter to you relatively quickly. It should be really easy on air to sell to your audience and your audience should be able to be engaged by it. I think that's important for a, for a feature.
0: Folded Wings executive producer Ian Parkinson has over 30 years experience in radio. He reckons the best features are born from a laugh between people.
4: The secret of brainstorming really creative ideas or creative features, it's really hard. They went through a period I know at Radio One of doing really quite formal and well-directed brainstorming in order to come up with original ideas best original idea, most original ideas and the ones that lasted longest probably just came up down the pub or just in conversation. I don't know how Innuendo Bingo came about, but you you can imagine how it came about. People were just sniggering over things they'd heard and Innuendo Bingo became a thing and then it became a feature. I don't know, the best features are simple. If you have to explain how a feature works then you failed, really. You've got to be able never to have heard it. It could have been running for 10 years. You've never heard it before, but the minute you turn it on, you understand what's going on and you understand why you want to listen. So it's got to be simple. It's got to be clear. It's got to be entertaining. And there's got to be an element of risk, I guess.
0: When you're using new features, remember Ian's points. simple understandable to someone brand new just tuning in a tiny bit risky to keep it interesting and entertaining enough to keep a listener hanging on if any of the topics here piqued your interest you can learn more over on the podcast blog presentingtheproducer.blogspot.co.uk i hope this episode was useful you can let me know in an itunes review drop me an email presentingtheproducer at gmail.com on facebook or you can shoot me a tweet on twitter at ptproducer Next time, I'm presenting the producer. I didn't know that much about indies, independent production companies, when I ended up working for one, because my course at uni was quite BBC orientated, and I think a lot of courses are. And so we knew a lot about the BBC, but we didn't really know about the landscape, other things that you can do. And nowadays, you can do so many things. Retrospective advice. What do producers wish they had been told when they first started?